Well, good morning. It's good to see you here. I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Um, I pray that today the Lord would grace us with insight into living a life that exalts God and blesses other people. We're going to embark this morning upon a new series. It's entitled Family Matters. Now, that's a little bit of a play on words. We're going to deal with matters of the family in one regard. Uh, I don't know if you're part of a family. I think you all are. That was a joke, terrible one. But, you know, if you're a part of a family, you know that at times there can be some discord and some, some irritation, but you still stay part of that family. But also, the, the name implies this, that we as a church are family, and that matters. We need to begin to see that we're not just a gathering that meets. We're a family that gets together. And so we're going to tackle this Family Matters series from two angles, dealing with some of the matters of family and also kind of pushing into this idea that church is to be a family uh, gathering. So I'm looking at this series like going on a hike. I love to hike. And when you go to hike, you go to the trailhead first. And the trailhead is like the beginning point of the hike. That's what we're on this morning. I am an antsy person, a little bit borderline hyper. So when we're going to go on a, we're going to go on a hike, and Vicky and I are going to do this, I get to the trailhead, I just want to plow into that hike. I don't want to do any planning. Any of you relate to me? I mean, I've, I've got energy, I want to go. Vicky likes to muse around the trailhead just a little bit. She likes to look at the map and know where we're going what we should see, what are the highlights and all that. It's a, it's a good thing I have her as a wife because I think I would have been lost multiple times in the wilderness if it wasn't for her. Because I don't want to look at all that information. I just want to get onto the hike. But sometimes some of the hikes we go on are pretty remote and borderline dangerous. And it's probably good to know where you're going. Would you agree with me on that? That's a good use of time. This morning, we're going to take some time in the trailhead of this journey of Family Matters, and we're going to look at some things and understand where we're going a little bit. We're not really going to get off the trailhead today too much, okay? But this is going to be a good morning at any rate. So let me get us a little bit acclimated and ready for the hike this morning. Once we get to the trail, we're going to hit some topics that are really important for us to address. First one we're going to hit next week is it's... It's not good to be alone. God has created us to be in community. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He dwells in community, and he's created us in his image, and we thrive when we do life in a communal manner. On Mother's Day, we're going to get into this message that God has called us to pour our lives into some other human being. He has called us as a mandate. There is no such thing as we live an isolated, insulated, independent life. Just get over that notion that is not Christianity. And the, and the reason we're doing this on Mother's Day is because moms tend to be illustrative of what it means to pour your life unselfishly into a, a, another person. As we close out the month of May, we're going to get into this idea that it's not good to be an island. Jesus, when he sent his disciples out to do ministry, sent them out two by two. I don't want to embarrass her, but Jenna was with me yesterday. She's sitting right up here. And Jenna likes to visit. So when we were doing our stuff yesterday and, and working and doing some of this out loud stuff, it was just fun to visit with her. You're meant to kind of go out two by twos. You're meant to be doing ministry together with other, other people. That's really important. Then we're going to get to what I call the scenic overlook. 
maybe the highlight of the hike. Years ago, Vicky and I went to Kauai, and we went on an 11-mile hike. It was a nightmare. I'm just going to admit it. I was not prepared to walk that long, and I was whining like a baby on the way back. This is so long. I wanted her to carry me, but she doesn't weigh enough to carry me. But at any rate, we got out to the midpoint of that hike. We got to these beautiful cliffs on the edge of Kauai that overlooked the ocean, and we could see the whales playing in the water down, way down in the ocean. And I remember just going, ah, wow. This is bigger and better than I thought it would be. This is really cool. Now, at that point, I don't want to gross any of you out. I'd strip down. I was down to shorts. Sure, I, I didn't care. We didn't see anybody in the hike anyway because nobody was as foolish as us to do this hike. No, I'm just joking. But I was so hot, and you had to climb up and down. But when it got to that scenic overlook, I thought, this is worth it. This is so cool. You know what the scenic overlook for the hike we're taking on here when it comes to family matters? It's this. I think it would be a beautiful, majestic view if we as a church truly love each other, like we're called to love each other. How beautiful would that really look to us and to others? Because that just doesn't happen that much in our culture. It really doesn't. And we live in this culture anymore that's far gone from God. And the way we're going to speak to the culture is not so much by arguing them into the kingdom or by bullying them into the kingdom or by having all these great answers. They're, they need to look at you and I and they need to see something beautiful and majestic that, caps, that catches their breath. And so we're going to get to that point in this hike. I, I hope the day will live up to the hype I just gave it. It probably won't. But then on the last day of the hike, when we finish this journey of Family Matters, we're going to get to VBS Sunday, and we're going to talk on what it means to pour into the next generation. Something incredibly important. So now you know the trail details. You kind of know where we're going, and it's time for us to take one small step this morning and just begin this, uh, this, 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 this hike into family matters. I want to talk with you on three models that I've often seen uh, given as representation of the church. You could call them church labels, you could call them metaphors, whatever you want to call them here this morning. But let's look at these quickly. It kind of sets us up uh, uh, for our hike. We're still on the trailhead. We're still getting informed, but this is important information. Oftentimes, the church is look at, looked at as an organism, a living organism, a, 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 a body. Parts are in this model, usually presented as very interdependent. We are a living body, we are a living organism, and we're interdependent on each other. Um, this is what our recent series was about when we talked about becoming the body. Becoming the body. The emphasis was on becoming a living organism, becoming the body of, the, uh, of Christ. And we looked at it from that kind of understanding viewpoint. See, the church is like a body comprised of a whole bunch of different parts. As 1 Corinthians 12 says uh, to us, the foot should not say, because I'm a hand, I'm not part of the body. The ear should not say, because I'm an eye, I'm not part of the body. And then the scripture goes on to say there in 1 Corinthians 12, if, if we're all eyes, where would the sense of hearing be? If we're all ears, where would the sense of smell be? What this model presents, and it's critically important to get, is this. We're all interdependent here. You and I all matter. And we're all part of this living organism called the body of Jesus Christ. Well, here's a second labeling of church, a second model, second metaphor. It's this, organization. Organization. That looks at structures. Parts have a place. 
There is order to the church, a structure to the church. At the end of 1 Corinthians 12, structure's talked about. In Ephesians 4, structure's talked about. Structure goes something like this. First of all, there are to be apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on. Some are called to be pastors and evangelists. And Ephesians 4 tells us to prepare God's people for acts of service. So we're being prepared to serve here. There's a structure. Structure facilitates service and effectiveness of a church. Here's what I've noticed about structure, though. It's not very fun to talk about. It's the organizational chart. I think, I think Jordan, we have an organizational chart. Is it up there? Thank you. We actually have an organizational chart for our church. Now, here's what I say about organizational charts. If you have insomnia, look at one of them, because it'll put you to sleep. Usually when I talk organization or structure with anybody, they glaze over. So I call this my, bam, let's get out of the insomnia curse and fall asleep. But it's important to have structure. Structure matters because it helps us to be efficient. There's a third model for church, a third metaphor, a third way of looking at church, and it's looking at it as a family. That's what we're going to do on this series, Family Matters. And in and, 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 and the family model, parts have relationship. It's all about relationship. And so much in the New Testament talks this language. It's probably the dominant model presented as the New Testament church. If, you, if you're kind of looking at it through that kind of a filter, you'll see it if you have that filter. Let me, let me give you one example. So we're in 1 Corinthians, and Paul's dealing with the Corinthian church of all their division and all the troubles and all the things that they have going on that weren't right. And he gets to chapter 13 that's commonly used at weddings, but really it's about a divided church. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, listen, and this is family language, Love is central. Love is the most important thing. And he gets to the end of chapter 13. He says, faith and hope are going to pass away. You know why? Because we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ, but love will never go away. It'll always remain. That's family language. And it's such important language. It's such an important concept to get that Paul describes a lot what it means to love each other there. He, he begins to describe, here's how you ought to treat each other. This is all family language happening. He says we, we should be patient and kind to each other. Listen, church. Listen, we're, we're a family. We're just supposed to be patient and kind to each other, right? And, and that's what love looks like. We're not going to boast. We're not going to be proud. We're not going to be rude. We're not going to be self-seeking. This is family language. We'll not be easily angered. Anger doesn't work the righteousness of God. And we shouldn't be angry people with one another because we're the family of God. We keep no records of wrongs. We forget and we forgive and forget. We're going to protect. We're going to trust. We're going to hope. We're going to persevere. We're never going to delight in evil. We're not going to be happy when someone else fails because we're a family, right? This is family language. And Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, get this, you're a family. And this is how a family treats each other. So this morning we're on this trailhead of family matters. We're not going to leave it too much today like I've talked about. But I want you to know what this series is all about. It's about understanding that church is so much more than a meeting. It's not just a gathering. It's more than an organization, as important as that is. It's more than even becoming a living organism, as important that is. We are a family. And we're going to talk on why family matters here for the next several weeks. This morning, a lot of you college students, it might be your last day. Are there any seniors? I'm not going to even ask you to do that. But there might be some college seniors with us this morning. 
and you're going to be leaving us and, and starting a life probably elsewhere. That's what happens about 95% of the time at that phase of life. As you leave us this morning, if you're a college senior here today, I want you to know this. You're part of our family. You always will be. But just as importantly, you're part of the family of God. And you need to bring that perspective wherever you land, wherever you end up living your life. You leave here as beloved sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, but you're going to go someplace, and you have to go there understanding this family nature of Christianity. I hate it when people leave. I'll admit it to you. It makes me sad. Even when there are really good reasons. Some, oftentimes people come to me, especially young couples, we just got this great job in Rapid City. And I'm thinking, oh, great, you're leaving. They're happy. I'm sad. I hate Rapid City, by the way. It's the only city on the west side. Everybody else in the state is on the east side. Just look at a map. Anyway, uh, so I get sad when people move like that. It, but it's part of life. It's part of the culture that we live in. Vicki and I have had the uh, experience of, of five kids leaving our, our, our family. That's good. I don't mean that. <laughs> it is good. It's good and healthy for them to grow up and get established and leave. I always tell young parents this, listen, you have these little guys and gals for, for 18 years, they're welcome guests for 18 years, but then they should leave. Maybe 19 or 20 or 21, anymore, maybe 25, 26, whatever. But you get what I'm saying here. Uh, you know, they're temporary, they're not permanent, they're going to leave, you're going to say your goodbyes, and that's good, and that's, that, that's healthy, but it's still sad, you're going to miss them. I find myself, Peter just recently moved to Cedar Falls, and I find myself, the first couple of days, I was a little lost, even though it's good and healthy for him to leave. I thought, wow, this is just strangely quiet and different. But here's what we can do if we're not careful. Because we live in this really transient, temporary kind of culture. And here's what we can do if we're not really careful. We can do it here, and we can do it if we're a young person in college. We can do it if we're a young career person in, in a very mobile kind of job. We can do it even as an older family making a move. Here's what, what can happen. We can become kind of insulated and isolated from others unintentionally. We can think, well, I'm only here temporarily. It's too hard to make relationships, so I'm not going to do any kind of investment that way. And that's a grave mistake. That's a grave mistake. It can be the case if you're in college. It can be the case if you're a young couple starting careers. It can be the case if you're an older uh, couple moving to a new community. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't discriminate against age. But we can often become very temporary in our thinking and decide, I'm just not going to relationally latch in here because it's not worth the effort. Here's something to chew on. It's our big thought today. Make sure you live in the moment, wherever you're at. Make sure you live in the moment. Live in that moment. Don't wait to relationally invest in others. Always relationally invest in other people. Live in the moment you find yourself in and relationally invest there. I think that's a message for all of us to hear this morning, but it's really especially applicable if you're graduating and you're going someplace, and maybe you're going there thinking, I'm only going to be here a couple years. I encourage you, wherever you land, whether it be here, some other place, some of us, some of you here are, are new to us. And you're just landing here. Live in the moment. Relationally invest. Resist the temptation to, to long for the good old days. I always tell our staff, those good old days, they weren't all that good. In fact, when I think back on the good old days, I'm glad they're, good. I'm glad they're back here. I don't want to go back to that. 
Don't long for the good old days. Don't do that. You take yourself right out of the game. Be where you're at. Be in the moment. And relationally invest in other people. Don't ever think this way. I'm just going to hang in there until things get better, until I move to a place I like more. Don't do that. You're going to waste your life away. Live in the moment you find yourself in. Relationally invest in that moment. I remember thinking in a little bit of temporary terms when uh, our family made a first major move. I graduated from the University of Minnesota, got hired by 3M, and a year later they were transferring me down to Knoxville, Iowa. And they said, you're going to go down there for three years. So I was thinking in temporary terms. You know how long we ended up being down there? Nine years. I was calculating that out the other day. Nine years. If I lived to be 90 years old, that's 10% of my life. 90 years of age is a good long life, right? 10% of my life was spent in a place where I thought I was going to live there temporarily. Make sure you live in the moment. Invest relationally in those around you. Here's why this is so very, very important. Why relationship matters. Our walk in God is caught as much as it is taught. That's why it's so important to be in relationship with other people. That's why seeing church as a family is so incredibly important. Part of our vision statement as a church is that we become grace givers. And part of the way you give grace to one another is rubbing on each other your life's just colliding, having a relationship with other people. If you go to a place and say, I'm just going to honker down here and temporarily live here for a while and then just get out of here, you are insulating and isolating from others and you are depriving others of the grace that God wants to pour out into their lives because you're not doing relationship with other people. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each one should use whatever gift. Gift means a gift of grace of the Holy Spirit, something that God has imputed to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Each one should use whatever gift of grace, whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, rub against others, faithfully administering God's grace then, do you hear that? In its various forms. If we live these insulated, isolated lives, guess what we're not doing? We're not being used of God to impart grace to other people. People don't get a chance to catch some things from our lives. When we rub shoulders with one another, this grace just happens. It's kind of organic. It's kind of natural. I mean, I'm all for planning and doing that kind of thing and doing Bible studies, but so much of the Christian experience is organic. It happens as you just rub on each other's lives. This is seen in Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy. I'm going to read uh, from Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Listen to what Paul says here. You, however, speaking to Timothy, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. He's saying to Timothy, you know me. You know my life. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and apostles will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know what we do with the Scripture? We go right to verses 16 and 17 because it's cool verses. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We love that scripture. It rolls off your tongue, doesn't it? It's just cool scripture. And we don't read what led up to that scripture. Paul saying to his protege, Timothy, you know me. We've done life together. You know my character. You know I'm the real deal. Stand fast. Stand fast in Christ. See, here's a summary of Paul's charge to his protege, Timothy. Continue in what you've learned because you know from whom you've learned it. This is doing life together. This is catching things as well as being taught things. For those of you leaving here us this morning, I'm going to encourage you wherever you go, you know what Jesus is all about. Eight, you know what this thing called Christianity means. Take it with you and live it. Live it wherever you find yourself, wherever you land. Paul said, Timothy, you know all about my teaching. My life is rubbed with your life. You know from whom you've learned it. Live what you've caught. Live what you've caught. Our lives are good. supposed to rub together like this. Amen? I think we catch. I don't know about you. I catch more than I've learned from teaching. That's just kind of how I am. I'm an observation of things. I observe people all the time. I catch about as much as I, I, I learn from teaching. And I think there's a twofold charge for us here in this Timothy, uh, uh, scripture to Timothy that Paul penned here. Let me read this to you. It's a twofold charge. First of all, you are to receive from somebody. You are always to receive from somebody. Um, when I was young in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and still in college and just married to my wife, Vicki, and had one child, Elizabeth, and, and that um, kind of phase of our life, and we're living there in the Twin Cities. Uh, I watched one of the pastors of the church that we attended very closely. His name was Tom. He was a good preacher. I don't know if he was really a good preacher, but my memory of him was as being a really good preacher. I remember his messages always struck me to the heart. But one thing I began to do with Tom is just watch how he did life. Because I didn't know how to do some life. I didn't know how to be married. I was really a little bit concerned about raising kids. Um, and so I watched Tom and how he treated Susan. He just looked at her like he loved her all the time. Which I'll admit I fall way short of. But he just looked at her that way. And she would speak and he'd be in this big busy room of people and he would stop and he'd look at her. And he would pay attention to her. And he just treated his kids so kindly. And I remember catching that from him. You see, we have to catch things on purpose. We have to look at people and catch things from them. We have to receive from them. That's how much of Christianity is, is experience. You catch it. You catch it, amen? You look at people and you wonder what's up with their life and why are they doing what they're doing. That's why body life matters. That's why family life matters. That's why looking at church's family matters. And here's the second part of the charge. Rub on somebody. Give to somebody else. Like you received, make sure that you're rubbing on somebody and imparting to somebody else the life of Jesus Christ. See, this is organic Christianity. So much of our faith is just kind of an experience. We don't plan it. We don't map it out. We do it together. That's family. You just do family together, and so much of it is organic. In a couple of weeks, all our high school seniors, you're going to face the same moment that the college seniors are facing right now. You're going to leave. It, and, and these are great lessons. Receive and rub, I call it. Receive and rub. 
But here's the good news for us. It's the family that God is creating. I know that's a little corny. I'm going to admit it. But it's how you remember stuff. I remember stuff because I'm a corny person. That's how I remember things. But here's what I love about the family of God. And here's one of the differentiations of it from our biological family. God's family is forever. It's forever. Sure, we say our goodbyes and there's those sad moments and all that kind of thing. But we never say goodbye forever. As a family of God, we never say bye forever. That's just not who we are. I love this scripture found in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read just a section of it for you, beginning with verse 50. Listen to this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all, be, uh, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where all death is your victory, where all death is your sting. You see, God is creating something forever, and it's his family. So here's the point you need to get this morning. In Christ, we have all of eternity together to look forward to. Because God is creating a family that what? exists forever that exists forever so this morning we meandered around the trailhead a little bit we really haven't got on the hike yet but we've talked about family matters that matter a lot already the church is family it's a family that god's creating forever i don't know about you i need to take this hike that we're about to go on i need to take this hike because i think when all said and done in life two things matter please hear this Two things matter. When you just drill down in life and you just get it to bare bones, two things matter. Love God, love people. That's really all that matters when you get all done and said with it. Amen? Love God and love people. So we're going to end with a moment of prayer here and then we have a couple great songs. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I, I just uh, acknowledge that the church this morning is indeed well represented by these three models. The church, she is an organism, a living organism. And we're all part of it, Lord. We all have a part to play. Grace us to embrace that model. Lord, we admit this morning that the church is an organization. It has structure. It has order to it. It has these things in order to be efficient and effective. Thank you for that model, Lord. And as we embark on this hike of family matters, we acknowledge this morning that the church is family, that we're to be in relationship with each other. We're to have a, a love for, for one another. Lord, for the ones leaving us this morning, taking maybe that next major step in their lives, I pray you go before them and prepare a way. These are loved brothers and sisters in you, Jesus. And we give them into your sovereign care this day. My prayer for them and my prayer for us is that we live always in the moment we find ourselves in, that we're relationally intentional where we find ourselves. We acknowledge that a lot of our Christian experience, Lord, is caught rather than taught. So help us, Lord, to receive, to be on the lookout with antennas up to receive. Help us also to intentionally rub on the lives of others, Lord. Thanks, God, that you're creating a family that's forever. And even though we have these momentary goodbyes that are so part of our experience in the here and now, we know that there is an eternity that awaits us where there won't be no more. There will be no more goodbyes. 
there will be no more shedding of tears. There will just be joy inexplicable as the family of God enjoys one another forever, Lord. Bless all that are here this morning. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, would you, Jesus? We declare that in you, Jesus, we are family. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said,